Hey, everybody. My name is Sam Brace. I'm the Director of Customer Education for Cloudinary, and welcome to Dev Jams. This is where we talk with innovative, inspiring, interesting people who are developing similar-minded projects. And in many cases, they are having to use Cloudinary in those projects, whether it's websites, mobile apps, or just things that are tied to overall software development. Joining me for every single one of these episodes is Becky Peltz. She is the Curriculum Program Manager for Developer Education here at Cloudinary. And I am so excited to have her here, as always, to talk with our guests about their upcoming projects. So, Becky, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Sam. I'm happy to be here. This is going to be a great program. I agree. And it's going to be a case where this is going to be a smattering of projects that we're going to be talking about today. In many cases, if you've watched Dev Jams or listened to Dev Jams in the past, you've heard it where we focus on one single project that someone has developed that is using Cloudinary in a really, really interesting way. But our guest here today, Raymond, he is going to be talking about uh, several pieces of projects that he has gone and created or little, basically samples to show how you can use Cloudinary in different ways. And it's interesting to see how we came upon it, the journey that he took. And we wanted to be able to showcase some of them because, in my opinion, many of these projects are things that we get questions about, whether it's on customer support, whether it's in conversations with our customer success managers at Cloudinary about how to do some of these things that Ray was able to do a great job of showing through his blog posts and his sample projects. So this would be a great, great episode for those of you that are trying to dip your toe into the waters of what image, video, overall media delivery is about, and especially when it comes to development space. Well, you know, I, yeah, I saw this as a real journey where Ray kind of came in, saw one item and worked that, and then he moved on to another item. And as I read his blog posts that we'll be referencing here, I got the feeling of a very experienced developer getting really excited about this new technology that we offered. And then when I saw something in his about the focus on enterprise cat demos, I knew that this was a very experienced web developer <laughs> that uses cats as their main focus. And we will see cats today. Um, and his favorite color is sepia. We'll see that today too. So I think this is a lot of fun. Yeah, I definitely found a kindred spirit in a couple of those things. I I, I always try to use sepia in all of my examples and all of my trainings and if anybody's taken ever any Cloudy, Cloudinary Academy courses, they know that me and you, Becky, both use a lot of really cute animal pictures in general. So <laughs> kittens, puppies, that's, that's kind of our thing. So I definitely agree. So it should be a great place for us to go. Before we do get over to Ray, I do want to quickly point out that if you are so inclined and you're saying, hey, what's this dev damn thing that I'm supposed to be a part of and checking out right now? Well, know that you can always see all the previous episodes at cloudinary.com slash podcasts. So this is where we're going to be putting this episode up in later days after we do this event. And of course, this is where you can get up to speed on all of the previous episodes. So there might be times that me or Becky mention a previous episode or maybe a topic that was mentioned in a previous episode. If you ever are so inclined, this is the, a great, great spot to go. And... The nice thing about this is that if you go and check out any of these episodes, like the one that I'm showing on my screen, where we interviewed Brad about the way that he optimized Cloudinary with Markdown files, it is, or inside of Markdown files, 
You can see here that we have full transcripts for people to be able to see all of the various details, but also a case where you can view or listen to any of these episodes on any of the podcast services that you probably like, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and our own Cloudinary Academy. So just something to quickly point out before we dive into today's interview, just in case this is your first time coming to us and being part of this overall experience. But without further ado, let's bring Ray on and get to know him a little bit better. So Ray, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Good, good, good. And, and I'm so excited to have you on this because when Becky and I saw the blog post that you issued, it was happening over the course of November. It was an area where we were seeing, oh, he's absolutely using us in the right ways, which is really, really exciting. But it also is you're pointing out a lot of use cases that were either new to a lot of the ways that we think about the ways to use binary, or you're doing it with technology that we haven't just covered in the year. So it definitely is where I'm so excited to have you on the program today. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And, and I will say I'm, I am known for using things the wrong way. Uh, I am an excellent unofficial QA person. I will break something. Uh, the second you give me access to it, I will look for things to break. <laughs> well, as you I didn't or should. I right? noticed that and you had contacted our support. And that yes. was really cool to see how you worked through those problems. So, Ray, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I, I, I know those of you that saw the thumbnail at the beginning, they saw that you are a senior developer evangelist at Adobe. But of course, titles are not people. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I have been developing and writing bad code for 30 years or so. Uh, I've been struggling since the very first program I wrote. I could tell you the bug. I can tell you what went wrong. And it was bad docs, not my fault. Um, but, uh, for a long time now, uh, I have tried to turn my, my struggles, my, you know, what I find out, et cetera, into content to help others. I've been blogging for, I'll be 20 years next month, actually. And like 90% of those blog posts are like, I really didn't get X. I struggled. I now understand it as Y. And here's how I understand it. So that most of my blog post is, uh, why I have not pest. Uh, past a uh, tech screen at a uh, fang company yet. <laughs> <laughs> I I really think you learn by making mistakes, by breaking things. You know, it's that kind of experimentation that really moves mm -hmm. you ahead. And I think we'll see some of the ideas, some of the solutions that you found through that. So that's really cool. So, Ray, talk to me about the journey, about how did you come across Cloudinary? Did you stumble upon it? Did somebody tell you about it? Like, what, what led you down the path to, to eventually say, I want to write about this and share my experiences on your personal page, your website, your presence? How did you get there? So, Cloudinary has been in my to-look-at-sometime list for a long time. Um, just never bubbled to the top. Uh, a while ago, a very good friend of mine, uh, Rachel Luxemburg, excuse me, uh, I heard she joined the company and she's someone I've worked with in the past and I have a heck of a lot of respect for. So her joining the company made me think more of the company and, and kind of moved it up into my queue of, uh, you know, I should look at this uh, sooner. Right. Well, and great because Rachel's fantastic. And, and, and to add a little bit of context there, so she's overseeing our overall Cloudinary community. So if 
you've ever been a part of our Discord servers or you part of our community forums, Rachel's the one that's managed all of that and actually built it from the ground up in a lot of cases. So uh, it's a great person to know, first of all, but I, I, it, I, I agree that if she endorses something, it normally means that there is some validity and reason to do so. So I, I agree. That was a great reason to make that mm. jump and take a look at it, right? Mm. And then understanding that, okay, you got your foot in the door, you started checking it out. What was your overall experiences? And, and then what got you to say, okay, this is worth writing about? So there was one thing that that really hooked me immediately, and that was the um, the API versus uh, API via URL form of doing things. Um, I first saw that years ago with the uh, Static Maps API with Google, um, where you know they had their JavaScript API, which was big and complex and blah blah blah, and then you just had this hey, if you just need a simple map like for an email, or it doesn't doesn't have to be interactive. Just make a URL. And so yep. that concept, you know, five or so years ago when I saw that really clicked with me. It's just a great idea. So when I saw that, like, like I could do a lot with Cloudinary by just doing the URL, that immediately got me in there and just started playing around with it and, and made me want to go even deeper into it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at our docs, it's actually called the Transformation URL API. So it, it brings together both concepts. You get back an image, you get back a video. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good a good comparison, though, with the Google Docs, you know, and the, mm -hmm. or the Google Maps that you yeah. can just like tweak the URL rather than having to write a bunch of code. Absolutely, and, and there's definitely uh, multiple options out there for doing image transformations. A lot of libraries, a lot of APIs, uh, but being able to test it so quickly was a huge, huge um, uh, motivation for me to play more. In fact, so so when when Sam was talking earlier about how we're not looking at one project, but like a smattering of things that I've done, um, like I added a major feature to my blog. That was a URL. That's it. So like the whole responsive images thing. Yeah. I, that I, I majorly improved my blog, but the project was adding one or two lines of code. Like that's it. And that just really, really sells Cloudinary to me. Yeah. And I, I can tell that after you, you got to really understand the structure of our URLs because you, you were able to like go in and just basically chop them up and put stuff yeah. in where you wanted them in simple programs. So, yeah. but you have also have some more complex programs where you were writing Lambda functions and running them off of our notifications and lots of interesting things that we're going to get to. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the URL simplicity got me in at the same time though, like I appreciate that there's SDKs that makes that a bit easier and I don't have to do string manipulation to like craft the URL. Um, I, I like that y'all have like both sides there. Well, absolutely. And it, it's interesting because when we have ever reached out to people like yourself and said, Hey, we'd love to have you come on the program, talk about your experiences, talk about your projects. A lot of times we get developers almost saying like, well, what I did was fairly simple. It was just one or two lines, just like you pointed out. So I feel like it's not going to be worth their time to, or worth the people's time to listen to it. But gosh, there's so much that you can unravel with these types of projects. And it's, and luckily, we're just a, a facet of the project. So to point out your blog presence that you have 
it's to say that we're a very tiny component or a, even a, a, a minuscule part of that component, but it makes things better. It makes your life easier. And hopefully it makes your readers experience better as, as well too. So I, I agree completely. And, you know, being so small, if for some reason I decided I didn't like y'all anymore, like leaving Cloudinary would be trivial. Like I would stop using your, your, your URLs. Like, <laughs> like it would not kill me to rip out that functionality in any way at all. Uh, so it was completely safe, very quick. Uh, and just like, that's everything I want as a developer. Well, that makes a really good point about, you know, composing with cloud services is that you do want a service that is modular, that is, you know, something that you can put in and take out, move around. So, I mean, it, it, we're glad that you decided that you didn't want to rip it out, but if you need to, you know, or, or move it somewhere else, it's, it's doable. So. Absolutely. I, I get, it's like, I feel like the double-edged sword immediately when you start talking. <laughs> but but, but in, in good news, we have a great situation going on here. Hopefully that you, you continue to like everything that we provide, of course, of course. So I want to quickly throw up my screen here because this is emphasizing the first blog post that you wrote when you started your journey with Cloudinary. And this was focusing on integrating Cloudinary with 11D. And I know that we've talked, me and Becky have talked about 11D a little bit in the past when we've had certain guests on. But... Essentially, Ray, break down for me a little bit about why someone would want to use Cloudinary inside of Eleventy, and maybe also a little bit of context about what Eleventy is. So, Eleventy is one of the tools that you can use if you're working with the Jamstack. Jamstack has been something that I've been into uh, for for many years now, um, primarily based on having ten plus years of App Server background. Um, Cold Fusion for most of that, and then Node.js, and recognizing that I was using app servers and database servers for content that wasn't changing. <laughs> so I had a lot of power when I didn't really need it. Back when I started looking into it, it was just called static websites. Like that was it. It didn't have a proper marketing term yet, uh, but it was really, really appealing because I saw having the the ability of having an app server on my dev machine and in production only having files. Uh, that was really exciting uh, when I w had switched from Cold Fusion from my blog to WordPress and WordPress crapped the bed within 24 hours. Uh, Love WordPress. It's very powerful, but I did not want to be a WordPress admin. I, I just wanted to write stuff and just go live and not worry about it. So moving to static files, like really made me feel comfortable. Um, so Eleveny is one of the many options that you can use to work within the Jamstack. Uh, it powers my blog. I have 6,500 or so blog posts. So it's, wow. it's a rather large, uh, blog. Uh, but in production, it's 99.99% flat files. Um, I have a couple serverless functions in there for very, very, very minor things. Uh, but my content, you know, what has been my lifetime <laughs> of uh, creating uh, is all very, very simple stuff. And I appreciate that. Uh, 11E was very appealing because it's very flexible. Uh, a lot of the Jamstack options out there are very uh, prescriptive in terms of how you do things. I like to break things and do things weird. And 11E allows me to do weird, crazy things uh, the way I want to. So 
been using 11T for a very long time. Uh, and it just seemed like a good, good idea for a demo of, you know, how I could integrate uh, cloud in there into an 11 site. I think in this particular example, I was imagining like an, an artist who wants to put their work online and make it as simple as possible. Yeah, I was going to say, I think my, my experience with 11 d is that it does provide simplicity and kind of a return to the basic HTML, JavaScript, CSS, you know, uh, but then a nice, simple, not so highly opinionated framework to package yeah. it up in. So I see that. And it's interesting because the last guest that we had on um, who used 11D was Chris Coyers, who's, you know, CSS tips and tricks. So it's like, it's experienced people kind of want to move back to a simpler <laughs> world to rest themselves, I think. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the less that I have to worry about at, uh, at, at 2 a.m., the more yeah. happy I have. And, yeah. and that's how it was for WordPress. It never crashed nine to five. It would crash in the middle of the night. I'd wake up to an email saying it was down. Oh, wow. So, Ray, let, let's talk about how you did it. So I'm going to quickly pop my screen off. Maybe we can show yours and maybe we can walk through some of the code, some of the examples on how that you were able to make this connection between 11D and Cloudinary. Sure. Uh, I assume you're showing my screen right now because I can't I see you anymore. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so let me actually go to the website. I'll, I'll, I'll show the website. I'll show it running and then I'll show the code behind it. Um, and let me point out, um, I don't do pretty. Uh, so as an artist's website, this could be a heck of a lot better. Um, uh, but you can see the images that, that I have as, as my portfolio, uh, they are all thumbnails. And if I click on one, I go to a detail page, uh, and it's a slightly larger image and there is some text on there. Um, I just recently found out how to put a border around text to make it a bit more readable. <laughs> Uh, so it's a little bit hard to read now. Let me try this. Yeah, it says copyright Raymond Camden. And I probably should have moved that to lower right or something. But uh, I feel like this is kind of a fairly typical thing you would see on an artist's website. You would see a thumbnail. You would see a larger image. And they would definitely watermark it uh, to protect their assets. Uh, so that is the front end. Uh, and this is all uh, plain HTML if I view source. Uh, there's actually no JavaScript involved. Uh, it's all HTML, CSS, uh, and images. Hey, by the way, is that Mount Rainier there in the middle of that page? <laughs> um, I try to make sure I use all my pictures. So this is one that I took. It was my wife and I flying to Seattle. That's in Seattle, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, because I've got oh, that on my wall right behind me there. <laughs> big mountain yeah you yes, see it yes it is. <laughs> yeah um and i think she borrowed my uh camera for that i got one of those ridiculous phones with eight cameras on it or something <laughs> um so she <laughs> commonly borrows my phone for uh for nice pictures um yes and that is my my lovely cat just zonked <laughs> out not dead just really really tired so uh the code behind this and let me give it just a little bit of back backstory. So, um, 11 E supports data files and it's a way to provide data, obviously, uh, to your site. And that data could be just straight JSON. So if you were a small chain, let's say you have like five businesses in your chain or whatever, 
and you wanted data for your businesses, uh, their location, their open hours, whatever. Um, in Eleventy, I could make that as simple uh, JSON data. And in my build process, I can do a web page for each of those businesses. I could represent uh, you know, when they're open uh, and show a picture, whatever. Uh, kind of what I would have used a database in the past, uh, but flat JSON can work as well. Leveny also supports a regular like JavaScript file. So this isn't a Lambda function per se. This, this runs in production when my site is being generated. Uh, or I, I shouldn't say production. This runs in you know, before it moves to production as, as my build is happening. Uh, this runs, this will create data, but when it's done, uh, that is when my site is actually deployed and live. In this case, what I wanted to do was take a source directory of photos and you could see them here. And for each of these, you know, those being my original photos, I used the Cloudinary SDK to upload that picture uh, to make sure that it was stored uh, in y'all's media library. And then once I have that, I wanted to get the URL for the thumbnail version and the web version, web version just being the, the larger copyright one. So I, you know, I, I know I raved about the URL transformations, uh, but the SDK made it kind of ridiculously easy to write. Uh, so that is my thumbnail, basically, you know, this width, this height, uh, and, you know, uh, scale it properly. And this is the one where I said, you know, 500 and put my text. So if I wanted to fix that issue where I maybe, maybe I don't want to watermark directly center, uh, I could go in here and I could modify it to, to put it elsewhere. The net result of this is basically an array of images that have ID values, a thumbnail URL and a web-based URL. My site is only two source files, uh, my homepage, and this is a bit of, of a template code that basically loops over that array of data. You can see the four photo and photos. I do a link and the way I handle one photo per photo or one you know, web page per photo uh, is Eleveny makes it very easy to do basic pagination. And in this case, I'm saying I'm doing pagination size one. So one page per photo, it will loop over all those photos. And then I just use a bit of CSS and literally just drop that URL in there. If we went back to like the, the HTML view page source, uh, and that's tiny, you can see that is the URL. I definitely could have figured that out. That's not complex at all, but I really like, uh, the SDK made, made that a bit simpler. Yeah. Hey, you know, if we could go back, one really nice thing I liked about your code. So if you go back to where you do the upload, I liked how you set up your transformation or your um, upload parameters there. So you have an options, Cloudinary underscore options there at 18. Mm -hmm. And you just set up all your key value pairs. So you're going to use the file name and unique file name false. So you must have figured out that, you know, you don't want to have that extra six characters, you just want to see the file name uh, and overwrite. You don't want to do any overwrite. And so it's really nice because then you've got this data-driven upload where you're just pushing in that JSON and, and it's already pre-configured the way you want. I thought that that was a nice thing to see going on. And I will say, so, so this does take a bit of time and like by a bit, 
maybe five seconds per image or so. <laughs> that, that's not much, but I mean, so that that's build time that happens once and, and that's it. So that's when, when, when you visit this site in your browser, that's already done. There's no processing time at all. It's, it's immediate. Yeah, absolutely true. And I, and I, I gotta say one thing that I, I just think I just realized, Becky, is that Ray is the first person that's actually done overlays in a Dev Jams episode, like that I can remember yeah. very clearly. So, yeah. yeah, and it's an it's a use case that me and Becky say in training all the time is that you should focus on watermarking and branding your images in videos, so that way someone can't easily lift them, and it makes it so that way it's also programmatically done, so you're not having to, you know. They essentially bake it on through photo editing software because maybe you need that copyright to change or you need that watermark to change because you went through rebrand. So but your use case is absolutely dead on to the ways that we think that overlays should be, be being done. So I, without us talking ahead of time, this is exactly yeah. what I love to see. So very good job, Ray. <laughs> Thank you. I love it when I actually use things the way I'm supposed to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we jump over to the next example, is there anything that else that maybe Becky or Ray that you're thinking of that it's important to talk about with this example, particularly with 11D, anything that's worth mentioning before we jump well, to the next one? Well, I'll just point out that, you know, in this example, Ray is grabbing his photos off of his local uh, directory to do builds. And that totally makes sense because you're doing these static builds. But I know we're going to get to see some more dynamic um, type of, of grabbing images. So, and I like to... I like this one to start with because it's the whole upload, uh, transform, deliver. So yeah. that is really the essence of what we're trying to do when we're working with these images. Oh, yeah. Uh, if, if I were building this for a real artist or a real non-technical person, uh, there's like a million ways that I could automate this. You know, I could have them say, just email your photo and I could have code that reads that email puts the file in the right place, uh, uh, fires off a new build, and would all be automatic for them. You could definitely make this even simpler. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's jump over to the next blog post. So just a few days later, so if we were, we were tracking back, so late October, we were on October 20th. Now we're jumping straight into October 24th. And it kind of points out you're a prolific blogger and you're putting out constant content, as you pointed out earlier. This one is focusing on building an API to list ordinary images in a folder. So talk to me about what you uncovered in this particular project. That you'll have an API for that. Um, I yes. wish it was more complex. <laughs> I wish it was more complex. Uh, I, I think like the only thing I struggled with was um, it was a bit indirect to get a folder. I think I had to do like a search instead. Uh, so that that's one piece of feedback maybe a more direct folder list API option. But when I say it wasn't quick for me, uh, I think it took like 20 minutes of Googling around and, and seeing how other people did it. And I think in the blog post I mentioned, I found an old forum post uh, that that talked about it. Uh, yeah, that was Itai Caragano, one of our, he's now VP of, of support. So yeah, good, good post there. <laughs> But I think it's important to know, like, so why why would you want to have this done? So, like, when you're trying to build a list to have, a, a, building an API to list cloudinary images in a folder, what's the use case for something like this? 
so for me, uh, this was in preparation for another blog post that never happened, uh, not related to Cloudinary at all. Uh, but, you know, being able to just show a ga gallery of resources. Uh, so knowing that Cloudinary had a media access library or a media library, um, I wanted to play around with actually integrating with that. Because uh, I had used the the web portal to upload examples, uh, and that worked just fine, and and that was really really easy actually for my initial testing. Uh, but uh, to get that data out, I knew that I was going to need to automate that in some way. So it was a way for me to learn, um, and it, it just kind of you know outside of the issue I ran into like finding the folder. Uh, outside of that, uh, everything else was just super simple. I think it's a good juxtaposition with the first one where you were where you, you were pulling your images out of the hard drive, your local hard drive, and now you've got them up in the cloud. So now you need a way to pull them into your app. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So this was done before I discovered the whole remote URL thing, which blew my mind away. So I like oh, yeah. that. I, I I like that I can put all my stuff in Cloudinary or not. Yeah. Appreciate and, and you know that kind of goes back to if I if I want to feel safe knowing I could leave, that just makes it even more safe for me to leave knowing that I don't have to use the media library. Yeah, you're one of the few people we've talked to who is doing what we would call in docs remote delivery. So you're 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 leaving kind of leaving the the image where it was but you're delivering it via Cloudinary and you, therefore you're going to get, it's going to run, for, it's going to be served from a CDN. You can do yeah. your transformations, all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that's, I'm sorry, go ahead. But no, and it, it's, a, it's an amazing segue into what we're going to be talking about. Just, I think you were about to say it <laughs> because yes. it's definitely something that we, especially in cases where you don't need to completely forego a, a previous place, but you want to get the benefits that Becky just talked about. It's something that we definitely see more and more developers, I think, especially with tutorials that are popping up that and just reaching out to support, as we mentioned, the fetch mechanism that's tied to this is something that we see a lot of people being responsive to. So it's great to, that you stumbled upon it and you like it. That's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And remind me, is did you start utilizing the fetch when we came to this blog post here with Alpine? No. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure this post uses the result of the last post of the API of getting a list of images. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay, got it. Got it. So let's jump over because it, it so in, let's talk about fetch for a little bit here and then we can come back. So I, I, I can't not talk about some of the stuff that we've seen with Pipedream because I think it's an, an amazing thing to be able to talk yeah. about. But the responsive images side of things, this is where we start getting into remote image support, as I can see. So talk to me about why you decided to go down the path of fetch. I, I, we, we've kind of talked about it a little bit in the sense that it added another layer of security if for some reason you ever decided to leave Cloudinary. But there probably was more to that decision making other than that. What was your reason? Well, mainly because I've been using S3 for my banner images for a couple of years now. So there was no way I was going to move all that to, to Cloudinary. Um, and in fact, when I first looked at or started thinking about responsive, initially I was like, oh, you know what? My blog headers would be great, but I'm not copying them. 
them all over that that would be too much work. And then when I found this, I was extremely happy and it, it made me feel more comfortable too, because like I being new to Cloudinary, uh, I was very happy with the results of the transformations. Like I got, I, I got confidence in that, like right away. Honestly, I didn't have the confidence of, you know, do I want to store a thousand images in there? Do I, do I want to use Cloudinary as image storage? And that's not to say that I've done it wrong, but like I didn't have the confidence yet in terms mm -hmm. of I'm going to migrate all my storage there and just use that. Whereas with S3, you know, that is, has a couple of decades or well, not sure that long. <laughs> uh, so that, you know, having that option made me really happy. By the way, there, there's actually a, a, a bug on here now. Uh, my fetch is broken. If you scroll up, uh, there should be like a long line. Right there. Where? Yeah, it's broken. And what's cool, I'm, I'm happy this happened uh, for a couple of reasons. Because <laughs> uh, I discovered uh, if you right click, open image, a new tab, go to DevTools. Uh, yeah, do that. So go to DevTools and go to Network and then Reload and then click on Avatar 2 Failed. Then. And yeah, for the details. No, no, just just uh, click on it. Yeah. And scroll down to respond, response editors right there, XCLD error. So that's awesome. So something went wrong and y'all returned a header. Uh, that explains what. Now, I'm not sure why that's happening because on that blog post itself, I'm using the exact same feature for the top header. In fact, all my blog posts now are using that. Uh, so I found this 15 minutes ago. Um, I reached out to my buddy Colby. Uh, he's the first one I reached okay. out to yeah. just to kind of find out why it's failing for that particular image and not the other. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just curious. But again, I, I'm happy that you use the headers to return information. In fact, I'm planning a blog post now to, to talk about this. Um, and it also had me go in and double check my security settings and y'all actually have a security setting just for hey for your account where are you allowed to do remote images too which is yeah. pretty awesome uh i'm not using it so this shouldn't happen so i still don't, don't know why it's happening uh but um i discovered two new things that make me like cloudinary more so. okay i'm gonna go look at it too when this is done <laughs> i love the wrecking thing so um that's great, though. I mean, um, we'll have to see what's going on there. Yeah, I agree. But it definitely is a case where you, you it points out a few things that are really, really helpful is the, the XCLD error. If you ever did encounter an error, you're able to diagnose it fairly quickly if, as long as it gives you good information back. I actually want to show you this one thing here so you can see here that we've got the, the broken image that was on your website. There's also this thing that we have called the Cloudinary Media Inspector which is just a little Chrome extension that we have here. And if you go ahead and click it, it actually will normally go ahead and give you the XLD error right there. So if you ever are like, oh, I don't want to go into dev tools and go inspect things, it gives you quick information if there was an error that was associated with it anyway. So um, helpful place to go and uncover that information. Um, but I like that we keep the long path, the more developer-friendly path, um, but just to show another option when it comes to that. But Going yeah. back to responsive images here. So one of the things that obviously is important to point out is that 
you obviously want it to have your images be able to work for desktop, mobile, all screen sizes, all viewports, and you were able to pull that off with Cloudinary, but we weren't the only aspect of that. So talk me through like the steps, or maybe this might be a good time to go, go and do a little bit of a code review if this is possible to show like, how did you get that to ultimately work for your site? So keeping in mind that I already had like the existing resource, you know, like, and it was mostly optimized. I shrunk it down a bit, but it uh, wasn't optimized for, for mobile. Uh, this is a, another example where the Cloudinary part was about five seconds because I knew I could just make a new URL the right size. I spent about two hours kind of researching uh, the responsive image syntax, uh, and that was on MDN because uh, I had never written that myself. I have seen it, but I've never uh, worked with it. So, you know, for me to use this feature for Cloudinary, y'all's part was nothing, like, period. It was nothing. What took me time was just the fact that this is a part of uh, web development that I've not used myself. So that's, again, great on y'all <laughs> uh, that, that your aspect was, was nothing compared to me making sure I was doing the HTML right. And it definitely took me a little bit to get it right. And I definitely say in the blog post that I'm not 100% sure I've done it the most optimal way. But no, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good use case for using fetch is optimization. And essentially responsive images are an optimization. Um, and, you know, you, you start optimization with um, some kind of cropping or restaling or something like that. Uh, but just to hint that your friend Colby actually wrote a really neat Netlify plugin where he mm. used Fetch and added F Auto Q Auto, mm. which will give you a, a really great optimization as well. So you're right on the exact right track to to getting the best optimization. And Ray, I just troubleshooted your thing on the fly and hope it's showing that it's working now. Um, so what I did was I noticed that it was pointing to the cloud account, which was demo. And I just changed it to my personal one, Sam Brace, and it fetched no problem at all. So it has something to do with the security restrictions for our demo cloud account um, that it didn't accept things from your domain. So if you point it to a different, a more appropriate cloud, then that image should fire off no problem at all. I swear I said that. Well, I will be fixing that as soon as we hang up and people will have in the future. I never messed up. You know, it, it never happened, never happened. Um, but Ray, is there anything in terms of like gotchas when it comes to like, and it's not necessarily about cloudinary either, but like anything that you feel like from a developer perspective, when you're working with making your images responsive, obviously, you're doing things with source sets, you're doing things like that. But like, is there any like big things that you found when you were going through this process, maybe as part of the Cloudinary implementation? No, all of my gotchas were just the web, uh, web standards aspect of it. Because again, it's not something I had done myself. Um, so um, for y'all, like that's what you want to hear. Like there was zero gotchas on your side because it was just size transformations. That's it. It's perfect. Perfect. Okay. So I think the final thing that I want to talk about, unless you guys have things that you bring up, of course, towards the end that we can dive into, but definitely I got to talk about webhooks because 
it, like one thing that is near dear to my heart, to Becky's heart, to lots of people that work cloudinary is the ability for notification URLs for webhooks to be happening when certain things happen with cloudinary or in general, like just notifying X that Y has happened is a big aspect to development. And you're doing it with Cloudinary. You're doing it also with a service called Pipedream, which we recently found out was an amazing Cloudinary customer as well. So we're all full full circle here. But in in the same sense, talk to me about this project. Why did you go about it? How did you go about it? Um, Let's dive in. Absolutely. And I I feel like I'm going to start at the beginning um, and kind of talk about low code, no code, uh, because that's been kind of a hot topic the last couple of years. Uh, I've been developing for a very, very long time and something that I'm really passionate about is seeing more non-developers dip their toes into creating sites. Um, Cold Fusion, uh, which I was very big into for a very long time, was known for being very friendly to non-developers and it got a lot of flack for that. Got a lot of, oh, you're too easy. Look at the dumb people writing code. And I... I just got happy, you know, I, I saw people with English degrees like me, uh, you know, non-comp side people doing stuff. And, and, and so that made me happy. So low code slash no code, making things more accessible just in general makes me happy. I want to see more people building cool stuff. Um, I came across Pipedream a couple of years ago um, and really, really clicked with its metaphor of you know, having a step for each particular part of a workflow and them handling the boring aspects. So for example, they make the authentication with various services easy. Just do that stuff for you such that you could do your cool cat demo. Um, and like once that was done or once I saw that, I built a lot of stupid stuff. So like building a Twitter bot or now Mastodon, I should say, uh, but building that in Pipetrain is like five minutes and whenever i have a really dumb idea for a new bot i can just build it and pipe dream enables me to focus on here's my really cool slash dumb idea pipe dream will handle all the boring aspects of scheduling and talking to twitter and all that i just do my part so i like that uh at work we're also big uh users uh power automate with microsoft uh, and they have a different way of doing things, uh, but still really, really powerful. Um, and, you know, we have our own workfront product as well. Just that whole space um, really excites me. So been a Pipedream user for a long time. I've, I've, I've blogged about them a lot. Um, when I saw that Cloudinary had webhooks, I thought, okay, I needed to, to do a demo and run it on Pipedream. So what did you ultimately do? Like, so what, what did, talk through the demo process. Like, what did you, what, what, what did you do? <laughs> I, I did probably the simplest example, like I think on new uh, image, a folder, uh, send an email. Uh, that way you could do whatever. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I thought much past that because, because the hard part is on new image, you know, run something, right? That's the part where you need to set up a server. You need to do the, the web book. Like that's the hard part. Sending the email, you know, that that's pretty trivial. So I knew Pipedream was going to make that easy. Um, and so 
I, that's why I wanted to, to do this, if that, if that makes sense. It's really neat that Pipedream includes a send email because I've set up webhooks where I had to then set up another service to do the email. So this yeah. kind of does those things. It knows ahead of time what you want to do after you run your function. Yeah. I mean, if, if I want to do is send an email to the owner, like to yourself, they make that stupid, stupid easy, which, which is really nice. If you want to do more custom email, like to a listserv or whatever, then you use SendMail, you use any of the yeah. other options out there. And looking at this, I can see like you, you, you kept it as simple as possible, but that's showing the ease of being able to work with us, working with, you know, all of these different services that you have there. I can see like, it's basically like very simple P like tags you have here. A new image has been uploaded to your cloudinary library, but then there's so much happening here in the curlies, right? Like where you have step trigger event body URL, like talk to me about some of the steps that you had to then ultimately take the pipe dream side of things to make this all work. So the first step was the verification um, of the webhook. The last time I ran into anything like that was with working with Alexa, because uh, Alexa can uh, call Lambda or can call any third-party serverless provider, uh, but you're supposed to do a verification process with them. And their verification process is, here's 20 things that you need to make sure is oh, right. Wow. <laughs> but you can find a Node SDK library that, that does it pretty easy. So. I had a bit of trepidation when I saw that you had verification as well. Not that that's bad. Verification is good. Yeah, security. Uh, but I was concerned about how hard it was going to be. And for the most part, it was very easy. I ran to one thing that wasn't documented. I'll talk about it in the blog post. And that's the timeout value. Turns out that it has a default value anyway. So I didn't need to worry about it. But as you're showing on screen there, uh, that the code was like five, six lines. Exactly. And, that's it. and what's nice about Pipedream is that like, this is its own step. So later on, if I have a completely different idea uh, for Cloudinary notification, I can just copy that step and just not worry about it. Oh, yeah. it's kind of like a module that you can reuse for different places. That's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one thing that I, I love about this example that you gave here, not only because it's talking about webhooks and notification URLs, which are near and dear to all the hearts in this various podcast, but it is also, I think one thing that I want to emphasize that you said is the concept of low code, no code being something that developers are very excited by. It's something that we've seen a lot of miscommunication about over the past at least two or three years since I started hearing that term is that a lot of times people is like, oh, well, that's dumbing it down or it's only making it for marketers. And it's like, no, it, 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 people want to see instantaneous validation of work. They want to be able to be able to do things in, in more UI-based aspects. And so I, I love the fact that you're using something that's pipe dream that is tied to a user interface that is low code, but it is where it absolutely drives a lot of the things that can happen with automation for a overall developer experience. So I, I think this is fantastic that you used all of this in one particular blog post. If, and I'm not to say, like, I don't want to have you choose your children, but in the same sense, like, this was an amazing blog post. This one put me over the top. <laughs> I think we, we hear a lot here about the mock um, alliance and the idea of composable services. And this is sort of a foundation that really helps make it easier for the developers to create these, you know, uh, 
services that are linked together just by webhooks. So very nice. When, when I was nine years old or 10 years old and I was able to make my computer do something, I felt joy. And the idea that you would gatekeep someone from feeling that joy, no matter what their background is, is just insane slash evil. Like the more developers, uh, the more people doing stuff out there, the, the, the better, you know? Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to lose a job when you still have to write a little bit of code here to help get better. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. One last thing that I want to ask you about, because I feel like I glossed over it and I, I don't want to gloss over any of these that are here, but talk to me a little bit about Alpine, because this is the first time we've talked about Alpine when it comes to dev jams. We also, I wouldn't say have a ton of content in general about this particular JavaScript framework, but talk to me about this and maybe why you chose to work with Alpine or why you've been exploring so I, I have a lot of soapboxes. Uh, one of the soapboxes I get on is that a lot of the web development talk over the last decade, I think, has been about single page applications uh, as if every person is building an application. And that's so divorced from reality. Um, there's a lot of times where people are taking one page and they're enhancing it. And I, I feel like just nobody talks about that. And that is a real bummer. Uh, for me. Uh, so for a long time, I really liked Vue.js. Uh, Vue.js was very uh, welcoming to non-developers. Um, I did a lot, of, a lot of presentations on Vue.js and had people in there who were not developers who like told me, like, I feel like I could really use this. And I really felt that Vue hit that sweet spot where you wanted to enhance a page and you needed to, you know, you wanted to bring in a library to make it a little bit easier, but you weren't building an application. You would allow for that as well as I'm building a full application. And, and so, you know, Vue handled all those use cases very well. I feel like with Vue 3, that's not necessarily the case anymore. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying to me, it doesn't feel like a great fit. Vue 3 in general feels like, feels great um, for building applications. Um, it, it just, it, Personally, for me, and I, I'm being very careful because I, I got upset when I saw it. I went on Twitter, which don't do. Don't go upset on Twitter. <laughs> and <laughs> I spoke off the cuff, and I, I regret that. Uh, but it doesn't feel like to me like it's a good fit for when I want to take a page and make it a bit better. Now, normally, uh, I will consider just vanilla JS because JavaScript in general has gotten so good. But if I want a little bit more, I was looking for a solution. And Alpine uh, markets itself as like a modern jQuery. And Alpine really kind of seemed perfect to me for, you know, I want to do something on a web page. I feel like I need a library to help me, you know, a bit. Um, and Alpine kind of hits that sweet spot for me. So yeah. I, for the Cloudinary side, I don't think I'm doing anything special here at all. Um, I'm not using the SDK. Yeah, I'm just doing string manipulation. But I wanted to show an example of it working within an Alpine application. Uh, I think this honestly was more to showcase Alpine than it was cloud in there. And that's fine. We like that. We like, like we said, we like being the, like a little part of a project in, in a lot of cases. So that, that's absolutely fine. But it is to, it helps us to add some context here because it's where there's a, I think you, we would all agree. There are a lot of choices when it comes to JavaScript frameworks today. And 
it, that list does not stop growing. It, like we, like Becky pulled a report recently of all the ones that people are using and it just, the list at least triple what it was three years ago. And so it's where you see Remix and you see Astro and you see Next, you just see, you just have all this stuff out there. So it's to say like, okay, Alpine's also now in this mix, but why? And you're a trusted source. You're, so it, it's good to get some detail on why you chose what you chose. Um, I got it. And I think it, it, add, it lets you add a lot of interactivity without adding a lot of documented ad event listener code. And like in this example here, you see we're going to add one of those to get Alpine initialized. And after that, you can start writing on clicks and your HTML and things like that. So it just saves you like complicating the, the JavaScript and having a nice clean program. And you don't have to use a builder for it. So you know, yeah, if you really do the vanilla thing, just import something from a CDN and you're good to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-build at all, but I do hesitate when I see a build process in terms of what's going to be involved in me doing a demo or, or sharing code with others. Uh, I use the analogy of like my kids. I have eight kids. We don't do anything casually. Everything has a <laughs> So build process me and I have to plan for it. Nothing wrong with that, but I have to plan for that process. Yeah. And, and for I'm sure when they upgrade the build process, <laughs> you need to come back in and upgrade your process. So yeah, the simplicity is nice. <laughs> so Ray, obviously people are going to be checking out these blog posts. And I think it's a great place because the one thing that I love also about the way that you author a lot of these things, not just these cloudinary focus posts, but also in general, is that towards the end of them, you do have ways for people to test things out. You typically put some type of a sandbox, whether it's glitch. I saw a code pen on a couple of other ones. So I definitely recommend, I'm kind of advocating for a year. If people want to test any of this out, that's probably the best way to go and check some of this out. But where else can people be learning about the things that you're doing? Like, do you, are you typically posting on LinkedIn? Or are you on Twitter? Where's the best place for people to get the latest and greatest from Ray? So... I am still on Twitter. Uh, I have made a decision not to use it as much. Uh, so when I do a blog post, I, I, I automatically share that on Twitter. Uh, but like I'm not sharing my uh, breakfast on Twitter anymore. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ray McCamden. Um, I have an RSS feed. You can each blog post at the end has a little form where you can sign up and you'll get an email on every blog post. I'm on Mastodon. Uh, and I just did that little alias thing where I am at Raymond Camden at RaymondCamden.com. Uh, or you can just click the link. <laughs> yeah, that link still has the uh, social one. Uh, but yeah, you can follow me there, hit subscribe, et cetera. I love it. And cats, yes, please. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ray, this has been a pleasure, and I'm so excited that you decided to take the time to investigate all things Cloudinary, share some of your experiences, and to be with us here today. So this has been wonderful. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. I yeah, really appreciate it. It was great reading through your blogs. I hope others take, take that time. So, Becky. What's your main takeaway here? What do we like? There, there's so many things that we talked about. We talked about there's a smattering of projects, but what's the, the big thing for you when it comes to this episode? Um, well, for me, I actually, I, 
I want to get into Pipe Dream. I mean, Pipe Dream seems like a really fun place. You can write a little bit of code. He has samples of Python functions and node functions. And so that's, that's a really neat place. Um, I also am just really encouraged that Cloudinary is so interesting to a person who comes into it. You know, like I, I, that's how it was for me. Um, you know, I, I too like simplicity when I taught web development at a local university, I used Vue.js. I like, I like to keep developers in touch with those original HTML, CSS, JavaScript, you know, they continue to evolve and he's doing that too. So. Uh, that that combination is just kind of like a really nice aesthetic for me, and um, and then just the whole idea of j taking a journey through some code because that's the most fun thing to do when you're developers. Just grab some new product, new framework, and just start poking away at it. So I I agree. I I think that 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 definitely is the biggest takeaways for me as well. Um, I mean, not to just be like, yep, I agree, but it is to say that it's nice that we can show how easy and simple it is to be able to work with a cloud-based service like Cloudinary inside of a project, but also that it's where, what, if you're saying, I want to use X or Y, as we pointed out, like if you want to use Alpine, if you want to use 11D, if you want to use whatever, it's, it's where you can use probably Cloudinary inside of it. So I think that was also just a nice justification for the work that was done that as a developer, you can kind of choose your flavor and Cloudinary can be an excellent addition to what it happens to be. Yeah. I, and I got the feeling that through this, these five blog posts that, there, that, that Ray was actually innovating. He was creating his own way of doing things with Cloudinary. And it's nice to see that you can do that with a, with a product. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you guys have enjoyed this overall episode, I do want to point out, of course, that there's more. There, we have a whole list. We have literally years now, it's hard to say that, Becky, but we have years of doing this podcast together. So if you are so inclined, you can always go to cloudinary.com slash podcasts. And every episode happens to be there. And as I showed at the beginning of this episode, if you go in to look at any of them, you're going to be able to have full videos of what happens to be inside of those particular episodes, but also where you can see that you can view the full transcripts. One little fun tip that our team recently added was that you can see that in some of these transcripts, there's timestamps and it will jump you directly to that part of the video right from there. But besides of our like fancy little shiny objects, you can also, of course, enjoy these episodes wherever you like to watch podcasts or listen to podcasts, frankly. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Cloudinary Academy, or anywhere else, frankly. We're probably in a lot of places that aren't even listed there. So on behalf of everybody at Cloudinary, on behalf of the entire Cloudinary Academy team, and with a big thanks to Ray and our overall viewing, listening audience, Thank you, and we hope to see you at the next episode of Dev Jams. Take care.